0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. We're getting a new series today called Mood Swingers, as you can see. Uh, by that video there, but uh, looking forward to jumping into it. We are going to land in Proverbs chapter 4. If you've got a Bible with you, you can look that up on a smartphone. <clears throat> but before we do that, I want to take a moment and just mention last weekend uh, really was a great weekend, I think pretty meaningful for a lot of individuals um, at the church, you know, being Easter weekend and so celebrating Good Friday as we encouraged families to do with the Good Friday box and then um, <clears throat> just having a giant party on Saturday, inviting the community to be a part of our church and come and, and just be you know, in the facilities and experience this life around us. And then, of course, um, our Easter services on Saturday night and Sunday. And, um, and I think, you know, one of the highlights, there's a lot, but one of the highlights really for me, the primary one, I think, is that, you know, we had 197 people say yes to faith in Christ and invite Jesus to be uh, in their lives. And so, yeah, we can definitely celebrate that for a moment. I think that's worth celebrating. <clears throat> Uh, you know and if you're one of those that, that maybe you raised your hand and, and prayed and invited Jesus into your life I want to encourage you as far as steps go you see on the video life groups and then there's like even a kids event and stuff that if you're looking for a way to get connected jump into some of the things that you see we do things like a volunteer tour and culture classes just ways to see what goes on life groups are a big way and, and we believe that discipleship happens best in the context of a small group of people that are doing life together looking at the scriptures together and so I encourage you to take a step like you see there um, like I said we'll be in Proverbs 4 and um... I would imagine most of us in the room have a smartphone, and maybe you don't, maybe you have a flip phone, and that's awesome, and you know, you can send that to the Smithsonian. Anyway, just kidding. I was a joke. It was a bad joke, but it was a joke. Anyway, but uh, you know, on smartphones, we text back and forth, and, and maybe you, like I do, use emojis. I know in our life group, there's times where we'll go back and forth about what's going on, and I'm trying to plan something, and then all of a sudden, people throw in different emojis. So, like on Facebook, if you saw this, you know, text your three most used or most recently used, I sent it out to our group, and, and I said, send me the one that you, you've been using lately. And so the first one that came in was this one. And uh, this is from a guy in our life group that either, and I didn't ask him, but I said, he's either watching the Masters, he's out golfing, or he's somewhere on a trip golfing because he's always somewhere in the world. He's one of these guys who are like, wait a minute, you're in Iceland for like two weeks? What are you doing in Iceland? Just thought I'd go. I'm like, okay, whatever, man. Anyway, um, like Kentucky Derby. He was at a Cubs game in Chicago uh, last spring. It's just amazing. But anyway, that was his. Um, some other ones that came up in our group. There was that one, which I didn't even want to ask about. And maybe you use that one a lot so I don't know what that means. But anyway, um, these here, which I thought were kind of amusing. Uh, if you keep going, here's one from uh, one of the guys that owns the gym in Marysville uh, that some of us are part of. And I'm like, that's fitting that he would always be texting biceps. But anyway, um, so we'll keep going. This is one. One of our guys uh, runs marathons and loves running. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's how it feels. So we'll keep going. Um, this was his wife, which I thought was amusing, like clearly a like, chipper, exciting. And then my wife, which I thought was awesome. She sent this one. Now, I want to I clarify, though, she sent this one not as like, hey, super happy, but this is her version of jazz hands. So if you want to use it as jazz hands, feel free to do that. If you don't know what that is, um, you could talk to her after service, I guess. But anyway, um, in this series, Mood Swingers, we're going to talk about emotions. And so we got emoticons up here and, and stuff, but we're going to talk about emotions. And um, I, I think that, that you know, our emotions are, are, are probably a, a bigger deal than most of us realize or as time goes on, maybe you look back and realize that your emotions have played a bigger part in your life than maybe you imagined because maybe you do look back and go, boy, I wish I would handled that differently. And whether it's a relational thing or family thing or work thing or raising kids thing or whatever that is, that... that there is something about our emotions that play into how we live life. In the book, and I referred to it, I think, a couple of months ago now, the book Emotional Intelligence, I read it a couple of years ago, and if you're looking for something to read, it's a good book. Um, in the book Emotional Intelligence, the opening paragraph of the introduction says this, not education. Not experience, not knowledge or intellectual horsepower, none of these serve as an adequate predictor as to why one person succeeds and another doesn't. There is something else going on that society doesn't seem to account for. We see examples of this every day in our workplaces, our homes, our churches, our schools in our neighborhoods. We observe supposedly brilliant and well-educated people struggle while others with fewer obvious skills or attributes flourish. And we ask ourselves why. The answer almost always has to do with this concept of emotional intelligence. And while it's harder to identify and measure than IQ or experience, and certainly difficult to capture on a resume, its power cannot be denied. And so we're going to jump into this. And and it's kind of the psychological side of the conversation, which I don't think is worth skipping at all. There's something to figuring some of these things out. But the opening story, as you continue past the introduction into chapter one, is a story of a guy named Butch Connor, And Butch Connor is a guy who grew up surfing in California and would surf, he said like three to five days a week, loved surfing. And one day he had a three-day weekend and was going to go out every day and want to do a lot of surfing. And all of a sudden he's out and he's surfing and, and, and the waves are kind of crowded. There's people all over and he's tired of trying to share waves or grab waves from other guys. So he goes, he goes kind of a quarter mile away where nobody's doing it. Waves are curling up and decides he's going to catch some waves where he's not in the way of everybody else. And all of a sudden as the first wave he wants to catch begins to curl up, something catches the corner of his eye and he looks back and he sees a, he says a 12 to 14 inch fin sticking out of the water. And all of a sudden as the wave rose up, he could see the silhouette of a, of a great white shark that was, that was circling him. And all of a sudden he panics and, and Um, I'm going to read a little bit of of his encounter because as the attack progresses, Butch admits to moments of fear and dread, followed by moments of anger and then fight and and then more fear and the need to fight, all this stuff. But let me read just a little bit of, of what the book talks about. This is again chapter one. Butch's fear morphed into anger as he waited for the beast to strike. The shark came at him again and Butch decided it was time to put up a fight. He aimed the sharp pointed nose of his surfboard at the shark as it approached when it raised its head out of the water to bite. Butch hammered the nose of the board into the shark's slotted gills. This blow sent the shark into another bout of nervous thrashing. Butch climbed atop his board and yelled shark at the pack of surfers down the beach. Butch's warning and the sight of the turbulent cauldron of white water around him sent the surfers racing for dry land. Butch also paddled toward safety, but the shark stopped him dead in his tracks after just a few strokes. It surfaced in his path to the shoreline and then began circling him once more. Butch came to the dire conclusion that his evasive tactics were merely delaying the inevitable, and a paralyzing fear took hold of him yet again. Butch lay there trembling on his surfboard while the shark circled. He mustered the will to keep the tip of his board pointed in the shark's direction but he was too terror-stricken to get back in the water and use his board as a barrier. Butch's thoughts raced between terror and sadness. He wondered what his three children were gonna do without him and how long his girlfriend would take to move on with her life. He wanted to live. He wanted to escape this monster, and he needed to calm down if that was ever going to happen. Butch convinced himself that the shark could sense fear like a rabid dog. He decided that he must get a hold of his Uh, himself because it was his fear that was motivating the shark to strike to butch's surprise his body listened the trembling subsided and the blood returned to his arms and legs he felt strong he was ready to paddle and paddle he did straight for the shoreline Butch survived the attack, and again, this is his account of what happened and some individuals that saw what happened as well. And and he survived three days later on a, this was on a Friday, three days later on a Monday, he was back surfing. And my thought is, what's wrong with this guy? Anyway, um, here's the thing. The battle for his life hung between what he felt and how he responded to how he felt. And and here's the thing, I realize, you and I may never have to fight for our lives with a great white shark, but the truth is this, we battle all the time with our emotions and what to do with how we feel. The truth is, some of us, you you go to work and and your boss has kind of this attitude of of belittling and you feel constantly insignificant and shoved down. Or or maybe you're in a marriage where your spouse doesn't feel in love and, and all of a sudden marriage becomes hard work that many of us are aware of. There are seasons where marriage is just simply hard work. Maybe it's kids that constantly push your buttons and push you on edge and test your patience. Is Anybody with me on that one right there? Yeah, there you go. God bless you, sir. Anyway, but social media, political news, even just being tired or hungry messes with our emotions. So uh, we're going to navigate this. Here's some facts I want to offer you as again, we're going to get to Proverbs 4 in just a moment. But here are some facts that I want you to write down if you're taking notes, which we always encourage you to. If you're in a life group, these are some conversation pieces for you. But this is an end all list. Here are some facts that I want to mention about emotions. The first one is this, our core emotions, according to basic psychology, include joy, sadness, fear, disgust, surprise, anticipation, anger, and trust. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, surprise, anticipation, anger, and trust. The second thing I want to mention is this, God gave us emotions for a purpose, That that it's easy to look at our emotions and feel so frustrated that we're off the rails emotionally, that our anger or our passion or or fear or whatever overwhelms us and, and we don't understand. God gave us emotions for a purpose and you think of it this way, what would life be that you and I live? What would life be without emotions? Fear or anger, when it's rightly processed, actually calls us to take action in one way or another, and that's actually a good thing. When you think about some of the anticipation or joy as an emotion, it makes certain points of life come alive. Think of if you're married and you had a wedding and you had a certain song that you and your spouse picked, how meaningful that moment was at your first dance or when you walk the aisle, pronounce husband and wife or whatever, and all of a sudden, that song Song came on and that song evokes a certain passion in you for a good reason or maybe it's a worship song that you listen to and go, man, the way that is said and what that does when I worship with that, it feels like it breaks down barriers spiritually that's the power of some of the emotion that you and I feel. God gave us emotions for a purpose. Now, I've got a bit of a head cold today, but I had planned to sing you Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, and you were going to be dazzled and go, wow, he's an amazing singer. He should have been on The Voice and all that, but I'm not going to do that just because of my head cold, okay? So that's, that's why. Anyway, if you believe that, okay, we're going to keep going. Okay, another one you need to know is this. Emotions are neither good or bad. Emotions are neither good or bad. They just are and, and some of us are, struggle with that, like, well, wait a minute, isn't, isn't anger bad? Isn't, isn't fear bad? And the truth is, as I said a little bit earlier, God gave us certain emotions, and here's the thing it comes down to, because you may disagree, it has everything to do with how you respond or react to the emotion that becomes good or bad, that becomes positive or negative. The emotion itself isn't necessarily good or bad. Okay, another thing, and again, this is an exhaustive list. Another thing is this, emotions can be difficult to manage because our brains are hardwired to give emotions the upper hand. And and the reason is because it goes like this. Every one of our senses, you know, sight, hear, taste, smell, touch, uh, every one of our senses enter through our spinal cord into our brain, but they've got to travel through our limbic system where we feel before they get to our frontal cortex where we think about what's going on. So emotions kind of get the first pass. And if we don't deal with it, you know, getting it to the frontal cortex and and our ability to process, that's where it becomes so easy to live by how we feel. Emotions can be difficult to manage because our brains are hardwired to give emotions the upper hand. This is why we have sometimes a difficult you know, uh, ability to distinguish between I feel and I am. And you go, well, what's the difference? What's the big deal? The difference is this. I am angry. I am depressed. I am whatever, as opposed to I feel. The, the, The saying I feel separates the identity of you from the emotion that you're feeling. And there is a difference, even if you feel like, oh, that's just nuance, there is a difference. Emotions are tied to our bodies. And as I said before, um, it's this idea that, that our bodies feel our emotions before we're conscious of them and our emotions even affect our physical health. A couple of weeks ago, I finished a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell and there's a bunch of different studies in the book As I'm reading through it and it's about the power of making decisions and how to make great decisions. And, and, and one of the studies was done by a couple of guys that began to wrap their heads around Every one of the muscles in our face, in our head, in our neck have the, you know, they have them named and stuff, and then they began to make different facial expressions and, and write about like trying to distinguish between you know lying, truth telling, joy, sadness anger, all this stuff with all these different muscles and even the little nuances of the tiniest little muscles and what it would look like. They took pictures of faces and all these different things. Well, during this exercise, they they actually faced each other during one part of this and they began to make certain facial expressions And they didn't know this was going to happen, but they began to note that when they made a certain expression, their body would do something strange. So one of them that that tipped them off was when they both were making a certain expression, they began to get headaches and began to feel tired far sooner than other facial expressions. They went on and they kept kind of doing this thing, which would be so weird to sit there and kind of look at each other, and make facial expressions. But as they did it, they also began to notice other facial expressions made them feel more anxious. Other facial expressions actually increased their heart rate and made their palms more clammy and sweat more fascinating but it's this whole idea that all of these things are so interconnected and if we try to separate that or deny that we begin to miss out on our value to leverage emotions and how it affects our bodies for the better which brings me to the last thing I want to mention about emotions and it's this we can always get better at how we deal with our emotions and that should be great news for all of us. Um, how many of you guys have seen the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out? Just raise your hands. Just raise your hands high. I, also, I can kind of see. So probably less than half of, of the people in here. Heather and I went to see it with our kids uh, quite a few years ago. It came out, I don't even know when, 2011 or 12 or something. We went and saw it. And we kind of had read a little bit about it. And, and so we went and saw I didn't know what we were really getting into. And I tell you what, it is a, is it a fascinating study of like how we're wired and and. and all these different, they, they pare down our eight core emotions to five, and so, you, like I mentioned, joy and sadness and fear and disgust and stuff, and, and so it goes through all this, and some of it, it's its hilarious because it gives you a window into, like, the brain, and these certain emotions have certain personalities, and personally, I always love anger because he always, like, blows his top, like, come on, you know, and he's got this gravelly kind of voice, and at one point, they go to get pizza, they move to San Francisco and go to get pizza, and the only pizza they have has, has broccoli on it, I think, like that, and anger all of a sudden rises up in this little girl's head, congratulations, San Francisco! Francisco, you've ruined pizza. You know, and so anyway, but, um, but I do want to say this. One of your pieces of homework is going to be for you to watch this this week. So never given you a movie before, but there you go. I thought that would be a great, um, great idea. As we continue through this series, um, we're going to discuss certain emotions and I think one of the pitfalls of putting together, like we do every year, having a reading plan and saying, hey, let's everybody read. If you read about four chapters a day, you can read through the whole Bible. Let's do that together. One of the problems with that is that we read through it, and it kind of remains sterile. And we kind of go, okay, I checked them off, and good, I read the day's reading or whatever. And we miss the fact that as you read the Scriptures, there's all kinds of personalities. And as you read the Scriptures, there's individuals that deal with insecurity crazy, crazy. There's individuals that are hot-headed. There's individuals that are so filled with like a lustful passion that it becomes their downfall. There's all these different characters and all these different emotions that play out in Scripture that if all we do is read it to sort of check off the list of reading on the plan, then we're missing the fact that these things are in there. So as we continue through this series... We're going to look at some of those characters. We're going to talk about some of these, we're going to talk about these emotions and and talk about the good and and bad ways that they play out. But for the rest of the day, what I want to do is walk through some tools from the Bible. I think that can help us on our journey of becoming more emotionally intelligent. So Proverbs 4, and again, we're finally there. This is, you know, we usually get into it far earlier. Um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to understanding, or to, to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Father, today, God, as we walk through these verses, it is always my prayer that, that certain elements of this conversation come alive that this is not this is for all of us, and this doesn't leave, I don't think, anybody out, that there are moments of our lives where we realize, man, I didn't do that right, I really blew that, or what could I do to improve because I don't wanna live that way. And I pray that we would remove every excuse. I pray for your Holy Spirit to confront in every one of us excuses we make about, well, that's just how I am, or that's just who I am, or that's just how I do stuff, and people gotta deal with it, that God, sometimes we make such messes or we cause people to live in fear or, or, or doubt us or whatever because we, we latch onto things and make excuses and my prayers, we would remove excuses. Wake us up, God, to this conversation about emotions, that you've given us emotions for a reason, and that we can get better at how we navigate this world and become who you desire by leveraging our emotions. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this is just a snippet here. Proverbs chapter 4, but in verse 18, the whole idea of that verse is this: when you and I walk in the right way, things become more and more. Clear. Life becomes more and more Clear. Not that it's not cloudy at Times or we we are confused at times But the general idea in Proverbs 4.18 is that when you and I If you say you're a follower of Christ When you and I listen to the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, when you and I Surrender and all of a sudden somehow God shows us, hey, that attitude isn't Right or the way you're dealing with that isn't right Or you need to repent of this sin and remove It from your life and, and walk the other direction Or you need to talk to that person And make an apology and rebuild that relationship When the Holy Spirit does that in us and we walk that out in our lives, the scripture is saying here in verse 18 that life becomes more clear. Our ability to have purpose in Christ becomes more evident because we're doing the right things. And then the next verse is saying the opposite is also true. When we live in a way that is according to our flesh, when we shove down the Holy Spirit who's saying, hey, I really asked you to do that. And we say no or we disobey or don't walk in what's right. Proverbs 4.19 says we're choosing to walk in darkness. And when we choose to walk in darkness, we stumble around and we don't understand why our life becomes a disaster. And so it goes on to talk about, so my son or daughter, of course, you know, pay attention to what is said. And so it goes on. I'm going to fast forward, and I want to bring you kind of just a basic outline of how we can get better at navigating our emotions. It starts in verse 23, and then we'll go back in a moment here. Verse 23, above all else. The writer of Proverbs here just bottom-lined, this is it, guys. This is it. above all else. Guard your heart. And clearly we're not talking about the organ that pumps blood to and fro and keeps us going, although that's pretty important. But he's talking about the, the, the seat of, of our ability to, to live and have purpose and make right decisions that's intermingled with our mind and our will and our emotions. That's our heart. And it's, he's saying above everything. And in our world, we tend to guard all kinds of things. I've got a nest egg of retirement. I'm aware of how the market's doing. And I'm trying to build that up so I can retire. And that's important. And I'm going to guard that. I'm going to guard you know, how I feel. And, and, and we get things out of order. And we don't pay attention to guarding what we allow in to our lives and what we allow out of our lives. And the writer is saying above Everything in your life, guard your heart, your ability to see clearly, to make right decisions intermingled with your mind and will and emotions together, walking in Christ above all else. And he says, because everything you do flows from that. So the first thing, the reminder for you and me as we navigate emotions is this, guard your heart. Now, we do that more specifically by getting to number two, owning our emotions. You go, well, what does that mean? How do I own my emotions? Well, it's a couple of things that I think are worth saying. The first one would be this. When you leave here today, you go, that was a good message, appreciated that, can't wait for the next bunch in the series and we'll get more specific, that's great, but you're going to leave here today and some of you are going to go out to a restaurant and maybe you're going to choose an all-you-can-eat buffet and you're going to go, I'm so hungry and I feel so hangry that I'm going to eat, and you're going to get firsts and you're going to go in seconds and you're going to get thirds and you're going to go, man, I'm still a little hungry, but but the dessert bar, you're going to get dessert and you're going to get like third dessert and eighth dessert and you're going to sit back and go, oh, gluttony. That would be a great example of owning your emotions in that right now you're hangry and instead of the all-you-can-eat buffet, maybe choose something else. Or if you're going there to meet people there, go, you know what, I'm going to go once and I'm going to get one dessert and I'm done. Because what happens is we leave here and go, that's great, but the practical doesn't necessarily play out. Some of you are going to leave here and you're going to go to bed tonight and you're going to wake up in the morning and go, I hate Mondays. You're going to roll out of bed and you're going to be frustrated and you're going to go, man, I'm about to drive to work and get stuck in that miserable traffic and I'm going to show up at the workplace and I'm going to open the door and that idiot's going to be there to greet me and I can't stand them and I'm going to walk down the hall and I'm going to go into this place and there's going to be a bunch of people there talking and I hate their conversation and I hate my job! <laughs> if you're clapping for that, oh, I got more for you. No, but... but What happens is we don't, listen, we don't anticipate, hey, I don't think God wants you to go into your workplace tomorrow with that going on in your head. And so you anticipate. We've said for years in in youth ministry and and even for adults that, that it's hard as a single person to make a great decision in the back of a Buick in the woods watching the submarine races with a person of the opposite sex. Hard to make a good decision, so you anticipate we're going to go out on a date. But here's where we're going to go, and we're not going to drive that place, and we're not going to park over there, and we're not going to do those things because we're trying to do things the way God wants. And yet, you and I were terrible at anticipating. If you know that Mother's Day's coming up and your family gathers for some brunchy thing and everybody plays nice, but you hate everyone, be ready for it. <laughs> anticipate the fact. That that there's something coming up that is going to send you off the rails if you let it. This is part of owning our emotions. The next part of owning our emotions is when I am in that circumstance and I feel that emotion, I'm not going to use these words. I'm not going to say those things. I'm not going to give them those looks. I'm not going to entertain that thought pattern. I'm not going to go there. So the first one is anticipate what emotions could be coming wherever you're headed today or tomorrow or next week or whatever. But the second part is once you're in the situation, realize that there's emotions that are going to rise up. An easy one it would go back to like you're married and you're in a committed relationship and you're, you've said the vows, done the thing, walked the aisle, and, and you're married, but there's a coworker that's super attractive and she flirts with you or him or whatever and, and you kind of you enjoy it, whatever, and hey, in a day like today, when you're sitting in a place like this, we go, that's called adultery. That's called an affair. That's called entertaining something outside of the bounds of marriage and the vows I made to say I'm going to be faithful to you for the rest of my life. And so i got to turn that off. Even though tomorrow I'm going to feel like I want to do that, I'm not going to do that. But we're terrible at making decisions if we're not anticipating and then realizing when those emotions do come, I've got to deal with it so that I keep that door closed. Above all else, guard your heart. One of the greatest ways for you to do that is own your emotions. I'm going to feel tomorrow... And then when tomorrow comes and that feeling rises up, here's what I chose to do instead, which leads to the third thing. Change your concentration. Somewhere around 20 years ago, my pastor who was here um, taught us something called the firing order of the soul. And it, it's a picture of a bullseye that my hope is it kind of gives you this, this visual of how this works. That you and I are mind, will, and emotions, but it needs to go this way. That, that the bullseye, the target of our ability to be emotionally intelligent is that our mind has got to be engaged, which then affects our will, what we actually do, which then needs to affect our emotions and not vice versa or in any other order. Because like I said, the, 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 the tough thing about it is with the limbic system, our experiences go right up our spinal cord into our emotions. And then they get to the brain part. And we've got to be careful. It goes back to this story of, of this surfer, uh, Bruce Conner. It says, but Butch's fear morphed into anger. I underline some of these. Butch's fear morphed into anger. He says it later on. A paralyzing fear took hold of him yet again, but he mustered the will to keep the tip of his board pointed. He goes on. It says, Butch's thoughts (coughs) raced between terror and sadness, which we can all imagine you're on a surfboard and there's a shark like holy smokes. But listen, he needed to calm down if he was going to escape this monster. He had to make decisions, and, and like I said before, I, the monsters. Most of us not going to be a great white shark, but the monster is the workplace. The monster is the marriage. The monster is the affair. The monster is the addiction. The monster's the kids. Okay, and not mine. I'm just. <laughs> I'm good. I'm cool. It's good. No, but, but honestly, you look at it over and over, and it says in this story, he decided that he's got to get a hold of himself because it was his fear that was motivating the shark to strike. To Butch's surprise, his body listened. Terrifying. His emotions are nuts, and yours would be too. But he had to go, okay, I've got to make a decision that will affect my will, that later on we can deal with the emotions. And I'm sure when he finally got to the beach and crumpled, he, I, I would weep like a baby. Your adrenaline's freaking out. Like I survived. I get to see my kids again. But he had to make certain decisions in the midst of the heat of the emotional battle to overcome what could easily overtake him. And so it's, it's changing your concentration. Let me just mention a couple of things here. For me, the story on a personal level, and as a pastor and and just the seasons of life, and really for all of us, not even a ministry thing, but for all of us, there are moments where we're overwhelmed emotionally, we encounter something that gets us spun, something happens that that gets us in in a pit of despair, whatever. And for me, just thinking back, I was going, you know, I feel like, and maybe this sounds a little pitiful, but the deepest pit that I was in was when uh, a girl I was dating named Heather that broke up with me. And I later married her, but anyway, So, but she broke up with me, and, and I was heartbroken. I was a mess. I was a disaster. I was pitiful. I really was. And I look back on that season, and, and there's things I learned, and we're going to talk about that in this series, how we learn. But, um, but, but for me, I was a mess, but I also was a young Christian that was learning about changing my concentration. And instead of living in a pit where depression could overtake me and I would just be an absolute disaster or listen to certain people around me, because not everybody was a church person around me, hey, there's other fish in the sea, and hey, why don't you head to the bar, let's do this, or hey, there's a girl over here I know, and you should just go hang or whatever, that that instead of those decisions, because as a follower of Christ, I knew something could be different, I'm like, I want to do this right. And for me, it became this passion to look at Scripture and to know, okay, God, what is your truth here? And for me, the specifics of changing my concentration was being reminded of certain verses like this. Some of you know these well, and they're pretty well-known verses, most of them. But Jeremiah 29, 11, in the midst of the despair that I felt, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I've, I mentioned Matthew 11, 28 through 30 many times. Come to me when you're weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. James chapter one, and I, I think I missed the verses here. I put two through three, but it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And my favorite verses for me personally of all time so far are Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Change your concentration. I, I, maybe it's pitiful to say, but one of the key reasons that I memorized so much scripture in that season of my life, and I still memorize scripture, but that season in particular was born out of heartache and trying so hard to lean in and trust God. And that's what I want to challenge us with. Above all else, Guard your heart, which means owning your emotions, anticipating them, and then doing the right thing when they're engaged. And finally, forcing ourselves to change our concentration from those things that tempt us to end up in pits of despair or habits of addiction or passion of adultery or whatever it might be for you, that we can change our concentration. Your homework this week, watch Disney Pixar's Inside Out. And finally, and again, I'm a huge fan of scripture memory, memorize Proverbs 4.23. It's a pretty easy one. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. My wife, I, I try to have her always go over my notes and read through, and, and I had it had in there, Heather and heartache. she's like, what are you gonna say? Anyway, so, but we're happily married. Um, but I love how at the end, she, she said, hey, I, I like your notes, but here's a quick thing. I love the message version of that verse, and I wanna read it to you, and then I'm gonna pray. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's that's where life starts. Father, today, God, for all of us, that I think we can each look back on certain moments or seasons of our lives where our emotions have been nuts. And God, there's all kinds of them. And it's not that the emotions themselves are good or bad, but God, how we manage and deal with and learn from All of these things, God, I think better equips us to be who you've called us to be, to reach who you want us to reach, to love who you want us to love. God, help us with this, Lord. It's a a journey and it's challenging, God, but we together surrender for your truth, God, above how we feel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you wanna keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.